Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Brian, and this is Our Weird World. Ooh, it's getting spooky. It's getting scary out there. So, Halloween is coming up. It is early October now. I want to keep going with the theme of some stuff that go along with Halloween. Um, I actually wanted to talk about phobias. Uh, reason I thought of doing this was I, I started looking up some different phobias, specifically the fear of ghosts, the fear of uh, the dark or darkness. I'll talk about those a little bit here in the episode in a little while, but I thought it'd be kind of neat. Let's just talk generally about phobias, what, what they are, um, how to deal with them, things like that. Found a lot of good resources on this. Um, one specifically that I pulled a lot of this information from, a website called verywellmind.com and this article actually came from a lady named Kendra Cherry she's the author of this Um, she works in psychosocial rehabilitation areas she's an educator she's uh, her expertise is in adult and child psychology um, as well as personality research with um, uh, Boise State University and uh, Idaho State University as well so a lot of this I gleaned from this article that she wrote. There's a lot of good info in there. I'm going to link it as well. I also found, like I said, a lot of other resources. So just what is a phobia? So a phobia, by definition, is, quote, a phobia is an anxiety disorder involving excessive or persistent fear of a situation or object. Exposure to the source of the fear triggers an immediate anxiety response. So that's what the definition of a phobia is. I'm sure, you know, you've probably heard the term phobia a lot. There's a lot of very common ones that people have that they suffer from. And we'll, we'll talk about some of them a little bit here. I'm not going to get into a lot of very specific ones. On this article, there is a list. It's like A to Z that puts a lot of the very common phobias. It's not every single one that's out there. There's a lot of different phobias. But it's a good source if you're looking for some of, more, some of the more common ones. And there are, in this article, links to those ones if you want to find more details about any specific phobia that maybe you have or maybe you suffer from. So according to this article, about 12.5% of adults in the United States do deal with specific phobias of some sort. This is according to the National Institute of Mental Health, or NIH, and it is also considered that these phobias, this 12.5% in adults, is the most common mental illnesses in the United States as well. I found that kind of interesting that you have that many. You know, it doesn't sound like very much, 12.5%, but to see that and that that it's considered the most common mental illness in adults in the United States, that's pretty interesting. Now, the American Psychiatric Association, or the APA, they identify three categories of phobias. First one being social. This can also be known as social anxiety disorder. This is phobias that are marked by usually a fear of social situations, uh, primarily in which you as a person might be judged or embarrassed, such as public speaking, things like that. Um, Even hosting a podcast, I guess, could potentially fall under that if you're, you know, because it is a social uh, entity, right? Um, The next one would be agoraphobia. Now, this is phobia that involves, quote, an irrational and extreme fear of being in places where escape is difficult. 
It may also involve a fear of crowded places or even of leaving one's home. You'll hear that very commonly in agoraphobia is people afraid of leaving their home, going out into public, going out into large spaces, things like that. And then also their third one is specific phobias. Now this is when people you talk about having a phobia of something very, very specific. Uh, for example, like fear of spiders. That's a very common one. Uh, fear of needles. That's another very common one. Or fear of the dark, which is one I'm going to talk about here in a little bit. So again, that's they're very specific ones. So that's their third category. Now also they have four major specific phobia categories within that, which are going to be natural environment phobias, which would be like the fear of trees, fear of water, fear of lightning. Second one would be fear of animals, such as the fear of dogs, fear of cats, fear of horses, fear of reptiles. The next one would be mutilation slash medical treatments. So this would be like the fear of a doctor or a dentist, you know, or going to see, or like I said before, the specific one, uh, fear of needles. Um, there's even one that's called hemophobia, which is the fear of blood. And then lastly, there's situations, which this would be like the fear of flying, being on an airplane, which can be a very common one as well. A lot of people do suffer from that. Um, like I mentioned before, fear of public speaking um, or fear of small spaces, claustrophobia, right? Or large spaces, the inverse of that. I, I, I guess that would technically fall under agoraphobia, I suppose. So those are the, like I said, the four major specific phobia categories. Now, one important thing to remember is virtually any object can actually be a fear object. Um, the names of specific phobias are often formed as, uh, quote, nonce words or words coined from a single occasion only. And like I said, that, that's going to be very precise, very specific phobias. So these names themselves are often formed by taking a Greek prefix which represents that fear object and adding the phobia suffix. So with this, any attempt at a completely exhaustive list of phobias would be very difficult. Um, that's why, like I said in this article, they have a pretty extensive list A to Z because a lot of the common ones, but it's not every. There, there's just so many because, I mean, you could literally have specific phobias of any really specific item. So it's hard to say, okay, the fear of this, 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 every little thing. So a lot of them will, will tend to be clumped into larger, bigger ones. Almost like what I mentioned before with the large space one with agoraphobia, that one's kind of, it covers kind of a multitude of things. It is specific, but it's also not, I guess you could say. So with that being said, I did want to focus on a couple of phobias relating to Halloween and you know, horror movies and kind of the things of, of this time of year and in October as we move towards Halloween. Um, like I mentioned that at the beginning, their, their fear of ghosts and fear of darkness or fear of the dark are really the specific ones that I wanted to talk about a little bit more. Now, the fear of ghosts is called phasmophobia. Phasmo, not phasma, phasmophobia. Now, there is also a video game out there online that by the same name. So if you do a, a search of phasmophobia, you're going to get a lot of information for this video game, which it looks pretty cool. I haven't played it, but just let that be known. If you look for it, you're going to see a lot of that. So I found that it actually easier when doing my research to actually look up the fear of ghosts rather than trying to type in the word phasmophobia. It kept bringing up a lot of these uh, articles related to this video game. But anyways, that's what the fear of ghosts is called. It's called phasmophobia. Another one I'm going to get into a little bit is the fear of dark or fear of darkness. 
So anyways, the fear of ghosts in many human cultures is based on beliefs that some ghosts may be uh, malevolent. I can't talk. Malevolent towards people and considered dangerous. Now, this is within the range of all possible attitudes, including mischievous, benign, indifferent, etc., etc., um, which also relates to what I'm going to talk about, the fear of the dark. Now, a persistent fear of ghosts is sometimes called, like I said before, phasmophobia, a type of, this is again a very a specific phobia. Now, this derives from the Greek words phasma, meaning apparition, and of course, phobos, which means it is often brought about by experiences in early childhood and causes sufferers to experience panic attacks. Now, that's pretty common in most phobias, um, where it's something you might experience when you're very young. It's going to stay with you mentally as you grow, and you're going to have panic attacks related to it. Now, the fear of ghosts is widespread. Um, philosopher Peter Van Invagen, he wrote, quote, I am perfectly aware that the fear of ghosts is contrary to science, reason, and religion. If I were sentenced to spend a night alone in a graveyard, I should already know that twigs would snap and the wind moan and that there would be half-seen movements in the darkness. And yet, after I had been frog-marched into the graveyard, I should feel a thrill of fear every time one of these things happened. So I think the point that he's trying to say is like, you know, if you're in a situation such as this, like he's saying, you're in a graveyard and you already have this perceived fear of ghosts, whether, whether real or not, things such as a snapping twig or, or the wind blowing is going to bring on a lot of this supposed fear, if you will, in a situation like that. Now, in many traditional accounts, ghosts are often thought to be deceased people looking for either vengeance or they're, they've been imprisoned on earth for something bad that they did during their life, right? So the appearance of a ghost has typically often been regarded as an omen of death. Now, seeing one's own ghostly double or doppelganger has often been related as an omen of death, that basically, if you see yourself as a ghostly figure or a doppelganger of yourself as a ghost, it's a bad omen that death is near in some of these, uh, these reports. Now, there are certainly many people that are skeptical of such things and that's fine there's nothing wrong with that if, if you're a skeptic that's okay but now me personally i have had too many experiences in my life not to believe i've seen things i would consider ghosts or spirits i have had things move with no explanation i've heard noises coming from things and places that wouldn't normally make noises without some sort of interaction from a human or being if you will now if you're a believer like me that's awesome too. There are some really wild and interesting tales of people's encounters that you can find on various uh, blogs or forums. Uh, there's a lot of documentaries you can find and watch. Um, there's other podcasts you can listen to out there that, that have similar accounts. Um, I've listened to a lot personally myself that are pretty awesome. I'll, I'll try to find, there's actually a really good one that I listen to. I'll, I'll have to link them. I'm, I'm having a foggy brain at the moment as to what their uh, podcast is called. Anyways, if I remember it, I'll put it in here. Now, again, however, if you are a skeptic, like I said, that's awesome too. There's nothing wrong with that, with being skeptical of this sort of thing. I'm skeptical of other things in the world. So I can understand being skeptical as some of the evidence for ghosts or spirits can sometimes be pretty lousy or lacking. And there are a lot of times that 
they can be debunked in many cases, right? I've, I know I've watched shows that at first you're very enticed, like, oh, it's a ghost, it's a spirit, it's a haunting, whatever. And then people come in and, and debunk it. And I think that's good. If you're someone that likes to do ghost hunting, things like that, I think it be, can be pretty fun. I think it's important to first attempt to debunk it to see if it is something else um, before you just go in, in with that mindset. Oh, yeah, it's a ghost right away. Again, being a believer, I might be a little biased, and I'm, I'm sure some people will as well. But like I said, it is very important to attempt to debunk it before you just say, yep, this is a ghost. Now, the fear of the dark. That's, that's the one I really want to talk about as well. I, I pretty much covered what I talked about as far as the fear of ghosts. So the next would be the fear of dark. Now, this is a very common fear or phobia amongst children, and it can be in a varying degree uh, as well in adults. Fear of the dark doesn't always concern darkness itself, per se. It can also be a fear of the possible or imagined dangers that are concealed by darkness. So if you're in a space that is totally void of light, there can be that fear of what might be within that, right? Within that darkness. Not necessarily the dark itself, but what might be within it. That's kind of a mind twister right there. Think about that. It's kind of cool. Now, some degree of fear of the dark is natural. It, it's That's certainly understandable. I know myself, even as an adult, I still have that. I, I would consider myself within that degree of fear of dark. Um, I'm not totally completely to the point of it being a phobia where I'm, you know, I, I have the symptoms of it where I'm like, I can't deal with it. I, I But I do definitely have some, like I, like I said, degree within that fear of dark. Now, this is especially true as a phase of child development um, that kids are typically going to have that with, with so much their brain developing, so much that they have, you know, that they're seeing in their world from shows, movies, listening to music, whatever it might be that can help them develop, not just Sphere of Darkness specifically, but just a lot of things in general. But, it, you know, a lot of different things can help be associated with that in creating that, that fear. Um, now most observers report that the fear of the dark seldom appears before the age of two years. Um, a lot of accounts that I looked did say the same thing, that it's really not going to be seen or noticed before the, the age of two. When the fear of the dark reaches a degree that is severe enough to be considered pathological, it is sometimes called scotophobia, which is uh, comes from Greek darkness or ligophobia coming from the Greek twilight. So there was this alternate theory that came about in the 1960s when a group of scientists were actually conducting experiments in search of molecules that were responsible for creating memories. They used one experiment which used rats, which are typically a nocturnal animal. They, these rats were conditioned to fear the dark. Now being a nocturnal animal, that's not good, right? So what they were looking for, again, was this molecule that was responsible for these memories, and for this memory of fear that they had conditioned them for. So supposedly these scientists extracted a substance called scotophobin, and they claimed that this substance was responsible for these rats remembering this fear that they now had been conditioned to fear the dark. But unfortunately, later, the findings of this experiment were actually debunked and, and found to be not legit, not real. So I just thought it was kind of interesting to note that. 
So now there's another phobia that is actually a very severe one. It is called nyctophobia, or also known as noctophobia. This is a phobia that is characterized as a severe fear of the night. It is typically triggered in the brain as a perception of what could happen when you're in a nighttime environment. It's not necessarily the fear of the dark itself, but what could happen if you're in a dark or nighttime environment. It also can be temporarily triggered if your mind is basically uneasy or, or scared, basically uh, from some recent current event or idea or thought, such as if you just watched a horror movie, things like that, or, or witnessed some horrific uh, incident in real life or, or action or accident or something like that. So normally, since us humans, we are not nocturnal animals by nature, there is usually a bit more cautious or, um, excuse me, a bit more caution or alertness at night than in day because of this. Uh, since the dark is a vastly different environment, obviously you can't see as well. You know, your, your eyes will have to adjust. And then if you have ambient light, it can be very difficult. So, you know, if you've been out in, in dark environments, you, you know, whether you have fear of dark or not, or even just a little bit, you kind of understand that idea of, you know, during the day you have much better vision of the area and things like that so it, being in the dark can bring about a lot of different emotions or fears but again if you have this particular phobia it can be very severe obviously nyctophobia produces symptoms beyond the typical instinctive parameters within our within us um, it can bring on symptoms such as hard time breathing uh, sweating dry mouth uh, it can make you feel sick such as having nausea trembling that's even been noted to cause heart palpitations, which can be very serious. Um, it can also cause inability to speak or even think clearly, um, having you know trouble making rational thoughts. Um, it has been even noted that some people deal with sensations of what they call detachment from reality or even thoughts of death. So this is very severe. This is very serious. Nyctophobia, it, it also can be very detrimental physically because of these symptoms as well as mentally also but there are some therapies that people have found that can help manage this phobia one that's very simple that a lot of people use even for just minor fears of the dark is a nightlight in your house having some sort of low light you know placed in hallways or in rooms or in the kitchen whatever that just give enough light so there's you can just basically help you see, right? You know, I had nightlights when I was a kid. My kids have some in their rooms. And they're, they're not bright. They're just little lights that just give enough ambient light in the room so it's not totally pitch black, dark in there. Uh, very common. A lot of people use those. Oh, one thing I forgot to mention, nyctophobia. It, it's thought that it may be tied to nocturnal creatures. For instance, someone who experiences, I'm going to try to read this, sanguivorophobia. I hope I got that right. Which is the fear of vampires. Um, might also experience nyctophobia due to this association of vampires with the night. So you might have them hand in hand with each other. Or even someone with, say, uh, chiro oh my gosh, chiroptophobia, which is the fear of bats. Again, they might also have the uh, nyctophobia as well. Again, this association with this creature of the night, this nocturnal creature, right? You know, obviously, vampires are fictional supposedly we don't know if they're real or not right um uh bats are real but again 
whether you have this fictional creature that's nocturnal or this real creature, the bat, that is nocturnal, by association, people might have nyctophobia because of that if they have this fear of these creatures. Now, going back to the therapies, exposure therapy has proven to be very effective uh, when you expose somebody to the darkness. And, and you, they do it gradually. Therapists will use exposure therapy as a means of putting you within this environment of this fear. So you have this fear of darkness or the idea of things happening in darkness, and they'll gradually place people into the darkness, you know, in a dark room, whatever. And again, it's gradual. It's, it's kind of that idea of um, crawl, walk, run, right? They're not just going to plunge you into the deep end figuratively. It's very gradual. So, and like I said, that has been proven to be very effective for people with these phobias. So that, that's pretty cool. That That's good to see. Now, in severe cases, or if where exposure therapy doesn't really help, there are antidepressant and anti-anxiety uh, medications that can be prescribed that has all, all also been proven to be very effective for people that deal with these symptoms. So the word nyctophobia, also like the other, other words I mentioned before, does come from Greek, nyctos, meaning night, and then obviously phobos, meaning fear again. Despite its pervasive nature, there has been a lack of ideological research on the subject. Nyctophobia generally is observed in children, but according to one J. Adrian Williams, in an article called Indirect Hypnotic Therapy of Nyctophobia, a case report, many clinics with pediatric patients have a great chance of having adults who have nyctophobia. Uh, this same article states that, quote, the phobia has been known to be extremely disruptive to adult patients and even incapacitating. So this is, again, like I said, this is a very severe phobia of the dark. And if you have it, um, I hope you're able to find treatment. Um, if you know somebody that has it, I, I hope that they're able to find treatment or you're able to help them to find some sort of treatment. It, it sounds very severe. Um, so I certainly, again, if you have it, I, I hope you're able to find some way to manage it. Although not clinically recognized, scotophobia, the one that I mentioned before, uh, it has gained traction in a lot of social circles uh, in recent years. Uh, often it is described as kind of a more vague version of nyctophobia. Again, only being described only to darkness or dark spaces, not really that idea of things happening like, like nyctophobia. Um, people suffering scotophobia, they might fear things such as like a dark basement uh, or tunnels or, or very dense forests that light doesn't penetrate or forest at night um, or even just rooms or spaces that don't have light in them. So a dark room, right? So again, like I said, you could put a nightlight in there and help alleviate these symptoms. There have been other names come about, put forth for these phobias. Uh, one is called Acluophobia, I hope I didn't pronounce that right, coming from the Greek aklus, I believe that's how you pronounce it, which means uh, mist or darkness, and again, phobos meaning fear. There's another one called ligophobia, again, coming from the Greek ligos, meaning twilight, like I had mentioned before, and once again, phobos meaning fear. So let, let's talk a little bit about some of the physical symptoms or behaviors, if you will, to some of these phobias, if you have any of them. So a lot of common symptoms that will be associated with 
having a phobia of this and I'm, I'm talking like moderate to severe a lot of people have reported chest pains chills hot flashes even um, some report having choking sensations or trouble breathing confusion dizziness uh, dry mouth nausea feeling sick to the stomach sometimes increased heart rates um, increased blood pressure obviously going along with this a lot of these so in addition to these physical symptoms you might experience sensations of dread uh, impending doom fear uh, you might even feel that death is imminent those are pretty severe symptoms to have obviously to avoid such feelings people with these phobias you know they're, they're going to avoid these situations that's certainly understandable you know having symptoms such as this yeah you're, you're going to avoid you're going to naturally want to avoid those environments right uh, dark room being outside in the dark things like that now the exact causes of such phobias aren't a hundred percent known but it, it is likely that it's a combination of these fa- of a lot of these factors right environments that you're in right such factors increase the risk of developing a phobia um, these can include genetics so people with a close family member that have a phobia or other anxiety disorders will have a greater risk of having this or phobias it's also important to note that people who don't have family members with these conditions can still develop these phobias obviously it can it's nature versus nurture right some of this can come from nature but also some of it can come from nurture which going along with that you know having traumatic experiences a difficult stressful or traumatic experience can trigger the onset of a lot of these phobias you know for example you know if, if you're afraid of dogs it might have been triggered by an incident you had as a child maybe being bitten by a dog or something like that that's just one example that i can think of while phobias in general can be very distressing and create a lot of disruption in in your life again they are treatable um, through like i said things such as exposure therapy or prescription medications if it comes to that oh so like i mentioned exposure therapy um, there are some that you might hear so there's one that's called in vivo exposure this involves being exposed to the source of your fear whatever it is you just you're exposed to it uh, again obviously gradually there's also uh, come about recently with with modern technology there's virtual exposure where you literally use virtual reality simulation to again put you gradually into that and being exposed to it there's also systematic desensitization systematic desensitization this involves being gradually exposed until you become desensitized to the source of your fear so you gradually get exposed to it through these this exposure therapy so much to the point where you're just like okay whatever it doesn't bother you you become totally desensitized to it it's almost like it, it's almost like watching horror movies right where if you watch enough of it so often that you get to a certain point where you're just kind of like yeah whatever you're not affected by it by you know whether it's it's the gore or you know something jumping out at you or whatever you you get so used to it and desensitized that you're just like okay yeah whatever now cognitive behavioral therapy also known as CBT, uh, involves learning to identify the underlying negative thoughts that contribute to 
the feelings of your fear. Um, once someone becomes better at noticing these thoughts, you can actually then work on replacing them with basically a more positive or helpful thought. So that, that's kind of cool. That's a neat idea. There's another one called eye movement desensitization and reprocessing or EMDR therapy. This utilizes a rhythmic eye movement to help people process and recover from traumatic experiences. You know, this going back to, like I said before the example of if you're bitten by a dog as a child and now you're afraid of dogs uh, as an adult. Once you become better at noticing your thoughts that are coming about from this fear, you can actually work with them. This treatment of EDMR, excuse me, this treatment of EMDR is frequently used in treatment for patients suffering from PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, you probably hear about that all the time, um, especially in recent history with um, soldiers all, from all over the world that have gone over to the Middle East. PTSD is a, a very common occurrence. Um, I know myself, I've dealt with it on a mild, more mild level. Um, I served in the U.S. Navy, and I did three deployments um, on board a ship. I did go to the Middle East. Um, one of the things that I experienced was helping in humanitarian aid in Haiti after the earthquake that struck them in 2010. Um, and unfortunately, myself and others that were there helping, you know, we saw things that, you know, get this, it wasn't war. We weren't in combat, but still it was a natural disaster that devastated, um, was it uh, Port-au-Prince, Haiti? And we were there helping provide aid you know, what medical, providing food supplies, water, whatever we could. But unfortunately, we were the first ones there to arrive. So we saw the devastation that happened. Yeah, that's as much as I like to talk about it. So it, it's definitely affected me a little bit. Um, you know, I've been able to moderate it myself and deal with it myself through my own methods. So fortunately, it doesn't affect me too severe. But again, like I said, PTSD is very serious. And unfortunately, a lot of people do deal with it in situations such as like, like that. Like I said, again, if, if you're a combat veteran for anywhere in the world, you know, not just here in the U.S., but if I, I know there, there are plenty of Canadian soldiers that went over there, uh, British soldiers and, and other European countries have, have gone all around, around the world, again, especially in the Middle East and have dealt with things. So unfortunately, you hear about it all too often. But again, it, these treatments can be very effective uh, in a variety of of ways to help you with these with these issues with these i shouldn't say issues you know um anyways there are a variety of treatments that have been proven to be effective for things such as this again medications can be prescribed uh, in cases to help manage these symptoms that you might be experiencing as a result of your phobia or or you know things such as ptsd some of these medications that doctors might prescribe include selective serotonin uh, excuse me might include selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors or SSRIs, uh, beta blockers, or like I mentioned before, anti-anxiety drugs. Now, phobias are very common, but are treatable. Phobias can be very mild to very severe, and they can have very serious and lasting impacts on people's lives, obviously. So if you do suffer from a phobia, and if it's to that severe of a point where you're having trouble with your everyday life, you know, consult your doctor. Um, you know, there are a lot of treatments out there. Try to take care of yourselves, you know, especially f for that mental aptitude, your mental health. 
you know, especially during these times, during during Halloween coming up, you know, there's a lot of things out there, decorations, constantly see things in the media, TV shows and movies that might cause people to have triggers of these phobias. So again, just take care of yourself. Try to be safe out there. If you have any questions or comments about this, let me know. Even if you just want to share something with me, you know, that that's fine. Um, I'd be okay with hearing it, reading it. Um, you know, if you just even need somebody to talk to, I would be okay with that. You know, if you just want to send me an email and say, hey, here's what I'm going through, you know, I, I won't share your story, you know, anything like that. If it's something that you would like me to share, to put out there for other people to know about it, let me know. I would be okay with that too. But again, it's, it's up to you. Just, you know, let me know. Uh, if you like this also, please let me know. Again, if you have comments, questions, or suggestions, send me an email. You can do so at ourweirdworldpodcast at gmail.com. That's O-U-R-W-E-I-R-D-W-O-R-L-D-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Yeah, let me know. Be safe out there again. Have a happy Halloween, and we'll catch you next time. 